Venerable priests, Wycliffe could face down a pope, or two. The coals shifted in the brazier, whispered to him, Souls perish while you dawdle. He dozed before the glowing embers. Norwich, East Anglia, 1379, June. One, two, three, how many bells? Half Tom the dwarf huffed his way to Norwich Market, squinting at the sun overhead and counting. Twelve peals called the monks to sext. He pictured them in his mind's eye, walking in black-robed silence to midday prayers, arms tucked in opposing sleeves, two abreast, one long line, writhing soundlessly through the cloister walk, like the eels that parted the marshy waters of the fens where he lived. He would not trade his own green sanctuary of willow and reed for all their cold and splendid stone. The road was dusty and the sun hot on his back. He quickened his pace. If he didn't look smart, Thursday market would break up ere he got there. He'd left the marshy fens at daybreak, his willow baskets on his back, and run the usual gauntlet of pilgrims, thieves, and beggars on the hard-rutted road from St. Edmund to Norwich. His stubby legs had pumped hard to make the weekly market by midday. They cramped in protest. His shoulders ached from balancing the bulky pack, and his wits were weary from sparring with runaway villains and laborers who indulged in a bit of dwarf-baiting to break the boredom of their own journeys. Sport for them, danger for him. He'd already bartered two eels and a long-necked stoppered eel basket to rogues bent on using him for a football. The unwieldy pack on his shoulders bumped with every step, chafing the skin beneath his jerkin. Sweat stung his eyes. He didn't see the sow and suckling pig that blocked his path until the beast grunted a warning. As he careened sideways to avoid this last hurdle between him and the town gates, his pack shifted, snapping its leather strap and crashed to the ground. Its contents spilled higgledy-piggledy into the muck. "'Blast the bishop and his swine to bloody hell!' he cursed. The hog snorted and shook her snout at him, bearing her incisors. A broad frown split the dwarf's round face as he kicked at the empty air, stopping just short of the pig's hind flank. Half Tom was angry, but he was no fool. The sow heaved herself over, crushing a large round basket. The dwarf swore again at the sound of splintering willow. A week's labour shattered under the pig's belly. Bloody sow! It was the bishop's hog, all right. He could tell by the notch on the ear, making a stinking hole right here on the main road leading into the third largest city in all of England, wallowing in her own offal, living off the leavings of the nobility, and gorging herself on food that might have fed a yeoman starving brood for a month. Half Tom's stomach rumbled his frustration. The bit of bread and dripping he'd eaten in the pre-dawn was long since gone. He thought of the stiletto blade in his boot and eyed the suckling pig. So what if it was church property? There was some what thought the Holy Church had too much property. There was some what said a man could say his own prayers didn't need a priest. Heresy, others called it. But half Tom reckoned one thing was true. He could say his own blessing over roast pork, as good as any taller man, be he Benedictine or Franciscan. Anyway, didn't the bishop owe him for the ruined baskets? He wiped the sweat from his forehead, with the ragged sleeve of his doublet, and glanced around. The road lay empty. 
Even the beggars had abandoned the roadside for the town market, except for one lone rider approaching from the south, a mere speck on the horizon, too far away to notice if he did the deed quickly. A convenient clump of bushes screened him from view of anyone coming and going outside the gate. There was a peasant's hut behind him, but no sign of life, except for a child, hardly more than a babe too young to give witness, playing with a chicken in the doorway. Swearing loudly, he kicked the air again, but this time his wooden clog connected with the flank of the sow, and not gently, though with not enough force to satisfy his temper. The hog lumbered to her feet. Half Tom, preoccupied with inventorying his damaged goods, ignored her. He ignored also the child that wobbled on unsteady legs across the hut's threshold and out to the edge of the road. The suckling pig, probably the runt of the litter, for half Tom saw no others, got to its feet and, squealing indignantly at the interruption of his feeding, followed the sow. Half Tom looked up in time to see the child reach out a chubby hand toward the piglet. She grabbed at its tempting curlicue of a tail, and holding it in her fist, she pulled. The piglet's squeal became a screech. The child laughed and pulled harder. "'Let go of the pig's tail!' half Tom yelled, dropping a basket. "'Don't!' But the squealing pig had already gained the sow's attention. She was making for the grinning child as resolutely as a thousand-pound mother could waddle. Her warning grunts punctuated the piglet's squeals. Still the child did not release her hold, but at the sight of the angry animal the little girl's laughter changed to a whimper. Frozen, she held on stubbornly to the pig's tail. The sow charged. The child's cries mingled with the grunts of the hog as the sow knocked its prey to the ground and began to maul it. Her piglet safe, or maybe forgotten at the prospect of the unexpected and oh-so-tender feast, the sow, snorting and slobbering, began to chew on the child's leg. Half-Tom leapt onto the back of the hog, but he might as well have been a fly on the flank of a horse. His knife-blade flashed in the morning sunlight, and the sow's warm blood spurted onto his face, blinding him. The sickly, sweet smell of it thickened in his nostrils. He wiped his bloody face on his sleeve and slashed again, and again, and yet again. More blood now, not spurting, just pouring, like dark ale from a spigot, until the bishop's hog lay silent, her body twitching, her stained snout pinning the child's leg. A bit of chewed flesh showed between her bared incisors. The little girl's cries stopped abruptly. Half Tom lifted her in his short arms. She was not moving, not breathing. Blood trickled from the ragged wound on her leg, and her foot hung awkwardly. He had not been quick enough, and he had killed the bishop's swine for nothing. He looked over his shoulder. The lone rider was closer now. He could hear the pounding of the hoofbeats. Or was that his own heartbeat? Enjoying the main road after his two-day journey from Thetford, through dense forest and brackish swamp, Finn was, at first, unaware of the struggle between the dwarf, the sow, and the child. Indeed, from a distance, the horseman mistook the dwarf for a child in a tantrum. Then he saw the woman come screaming from the cottage. Finn dug his heels into the sides of his tired horse, sufficiently to spur his borrowed nag to a gallop. He reined in, only long enough to assess the wounded child, the distraught mother, the dead animal. He didn't dismount, but shouted at the woman who held the mangled, silent child in her arms. Does she breathe? 
The woman did not answer, but held the child up to him like one offering a sacrifice to a god. The small form was very still. Finn took the child and cradled her against him, being careful to support the foot. The pig's snout had snapped the bone just above the ankle. The dwarf stepped forward. The babe may yet be saved, my lord. She has not turned blue. But you must hurry. There's a holy woman I know who lives by Carrow Priory in the church of St. Julian. She will care for the child and pray whatever miracle can be formed. The anchoress at St. Julian's. Anybody can tell you. Ask for Julian. There's no time to find a way, Finn said. And before the little man could finish protesting that he did not wish to enter the city, Finn could well guess why, he'd noted too the notched ear on the carcass of the sow, the dwarf's clothing and dagger smeared with pig's blood, he scooped the dwarf onto his horse and headed toward the town gates. We'll come back for you later, as soon as the babe's safe, Finn shouted over his shoulder to the woman, who stood gazing after them as though she'd been turned to stone. Finn reined in his horse in front of a small church built of flint. He was about to head for the heavy wooden doors when the dwarf grunted and pointed to a tiny hut attached to the side wall of the church, hardly more than a lean-to. In two leaps he crossed the patch of herb garden and was at the outside portal, which stood open to the midsummer noontime. From within, a woman's voice called in the sing-song voice of an oft-repeated litany. If you're wishing to visit with the anchoress, you should go around and enter through the anteroom at the other end. Tap at her window, and if she's not at prayer, she'll draw back the curtain. Finn ducked his head, still holding the child securely in the cradle of his arm, which had gone numb, and entered the small bare room. He was about to protest to the short, wide-hipped.